We're living in an exciting time. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Sororities have a lot in common with those Aryan prison gangs. How do so? you think about it? Well, they're all white. <laughs> well, they that's, they're violent. See. They're violent. Uh-huh. They're they're very cliquish, mm-hmm. protective of uh, their membership. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of initiation going on. Certainly. And uh, it's almost like a prison. Those places are like castles. A prison with lots of TNA. Right. You know, you, you can't... You know, I, I would say that they have a little bit of freedom, unlike the gentlemen in the prisons, but that actually, from uh, many of the ladies that I know that are in the sororal system... No freedom. Uh, freedom is, is not in excess uh, around those parts. None. None. Um, so on that note, everybody, welcome to another episode of the, uh, the Golf Guide podcast. Uh, I am your host, Kyle Serlo, again with my co-host, uh, Mr. Casey Edmondson. Casey? Nice to be here, Kyle. Thank it, you again. It is, it is always just a delightfully good time. Any, anytime we get a chance to, uh, to get here together and, uh, and talk a little golf and hang out and drink some, some tasty tea and beers. and oh how- let, let me make it clear. I'm, I'm drinking the beer. I, I'm a little under the weather, so I'm, I'm beginning uh, with a little bit of a tea, you know, to kind of soothe the throat to make sure that anybody listening to this podcast doesn't want to go and just punch themselves just right in the dick because the auto quality is so bad. So I, I'm, for the betterment of our listeners, I am purifying my voice so as not to be quite as bad as it otherwise would be. All right, I'll stop making fun. Okay. However, uh, this podcast is unofficially brought to you by Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, Chico's Finest. Yeah, oh, hell yeah. Half, <laughs> half, of, half of it's brought to you by Sierra Nevada. Half of it, exactly. Well, I mean... The funny, loose, decadent half. <laughs> that, uh, that's precisely right. Uh, I do, I got to say, that pale ale, Sierra Nevada's pale ale... It's very good. I think it is my favorite beer ever. I mean, not in terms of, you know, if I drink... If I was to choose one beer that I had to drink forever, it would probably be Sierra Nevada's pale ale. I mean, if I'm having just one beverage, maybe I'll go with something, a, with, you know. A little stronger. A little more exciting, I guess, you know, like a, like a Pliny or, you know, some sort of quadruple backflipped IPA or something like that. But if I'm just going for a nice, awesome cerveza that is always good, it's hard to be at a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Among the planet of drinkable beers where the alcohol doesn't bludgeon you over the head, it's definitely one of the best. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually, it's a fantastic golf course beer because it's very drinkable. It's not overly hoppy, but say you're out playing around a golf somewhere where it's not particularly warm, it still has all of the desirable qualities to to warm the belly and warm the soul that you you crave from something like that. Kyle, you're making me reach for my beer. (laughs) That's uh, that's what we're doing. By the way, Sierra Nevada, please feel free to send us copious amounts of free beverages for all these wonderful plugs that we're giving to you. I mean, we're making a serious uh, improvement in their business right now. Unquestionably. They've been struggling. Unquestionably. Um, Now, when it comes to, you know, in terms of uh, when I referenced drinking a beer on a golf course, it tends to be a little bit cold. Um, I got to bring this up because since I talked to you last, I have had the pleasure of going on a exceptionally fine golf vacation that uh, I didn't oh, yes. I didn't want to rub it in your face but I, I did you should, have you should I did have to bring it up because I might like it rubbed in my face <laughs> you never know <laughs> uh, for anybody that has not heard of or been to the Bandon Dunes Golf Resort up in the you know on the southwest coast of Oregon 
you are missing out on what I consider to be the finest golfing experience, um, definitely in America and possibly in the world in terms of just the collection of unbelievably high-quality golf in one small little area where the focus is only on golf and drinking and food. I mean, you show up here and it's just, it, Kaysom. Yeah. I'll, it, it, I'll be, I'll be there. Uh, don't, ne- next year you will be there. We're going to be having the, uh, the big annual golf guide, you know, trip up the Bannon dunes, which, uh, we're going to get some other people into as well, but you will most certainly be one of the attendees. I, you know, I'm looking forward to getting there with a lot of esteemed gentlemen who've played the courses a few times and can give me some pointers. It, uh, it, it was kind of fun because this time I'd say a, roughly about half of us had been there before. And then the other half, it was their first time. And it was kind of shocking to see how differently those of us played the courses who had been there versus those who had not. And how unbelievably dramatic the difference was in terms of the final scores. Yes, <laughs> I would imagine. So uh, I have to ask our, our friend John who is a, a strong golfer, although a little rusty by his standards. He was on the trip with you. It was his first time there, if I'm not mistaken. It was. Tell me how he how he fared out, out there, because I'm very curious. Did he put any numbers up around even par? Uh, he never he never shot even or under, but he did flirt, you know, with he, he shot in the mid-70s at least once. Um, so uh, just a little background. Did he played the same tees as the rest of the people? Well, well, he was playing the tips yeah, the whole time. Um the one day that I got to play with them, we played what a lot of people consider to be the best course at the resort. Although, I, th- I think that's one of the every course that, has its fans up there. Evidently, it's it's crazy that uh, you know when you you play golf up there. You know, there's four full eighteen hole courses at the resort, plus a nine hole par three course, plus a thirteen hole par three course, plus an eighteen hole putting course. And but in terms of the four full length eighteen hole golf courses. You can go and ask four different golfers there what their favorite course at the resort is, and there's actually a better than 50% chance that you'll have at least three different answers and likely four. I mean, all of the golf courses are legitimately that good that it you, you can't rank them without continuously questioning yourself. Yeah, of course. It's a testament to the management at that place that they've been able to just hit home run after home run. The, 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 uh, the owner and the, the developer, Mike Kaiser, um, he, he gets it, man. He, he really, he really gets it. He, and it's a no carts place. Is it not? Absolutely. That's wonderful. No golf carts. Wonderful. Walking, walking only. They, they strongly encourage people to, uh, to use a caddy. However, I am at the uh, financial stage of my life where I will happily carry my own bag and and save a few hundred bucks. Um, If I could get my own caddy fee, I would caddy for myself. Certainly. (laughs) Uh, But no, the 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 owner, the you know the guy who's you know putting all this together, he gets it, man. He he, unlike uh, our good friend Donnie Trump, who is also a you know probably you know one of the bigger golf course developers right now, um, he is not focused on having the biggest, most ridiculous shit all around his golf course. All he wants is the most pure Lynx golfing experience possible. Let's think about the Trump courses for a second. Please. You brought up an interesting topic. 
I don't know how many he has. I can name several. Mm. And it seems like half of them are, you know, just awful. And about half of them are actually great. And, of course, he took over Turnberry. Mm-hmm. So we know about Turnberry. And sure. it's, it's not the greatest golf course, but it's very it's strong. It's very strong. You couldn't deny that. And does he have – where is his course on the East Coast that has the PGA event? Well, uh, Trump, I know I mean, he it's recently – Liberty National? Well, he took his? over – I know he owns Doral now, does he? Does he, he does, own? yeah, and I don't like that course. No. But uh, Something about Florida golf doesn't Florida really – Florida golf doesn't work. I, Even <clears throat> Sawgrass is, is not a good golf course according to my preferences, but it's one of the best ones down there. The rest of them – are these windswept giant lake, you know, Bermuda hell holes. And I don't know about anybody listening to this podcast, but Bermuda rough makes me violently angry, <laughs> uh, around the green. And it's not just because it's more it's difficult. It's, it's because it is inherently unworkable. The ball sits down. You, you can, Cut right under the fucking ball. My handicap is not nearly low enough to be able to navigate Bermuda Rough. Bennett Valley has patches of Bermuda Rough. Just for that have come from people, the bottom of people's shoes that have basically grown yes. into the golf course. And okay. you have to avoid them very much. And I'll tell you where the worst patch of that is on the golf course. Over the green at number one. If you get long on one, there's a ton of Bermuda up there. And you're already staring at a downslope to a bizarre green, and you're you're looking double bogey right in the face if you go long on number one. I hate it when double bogeys just come and slap me right in my face without uh, without asking permission first. That's right. That's 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 no good. Um, so anyway, congratulations on a successful trip. I thank think you. you organized a lot of it, so I think it uh, as a testament to your strong friendships and organizational well, skills. Well, thank you. Thank and you. Nobody, nobody died or anything. Nobody, they? nobody died. We had, uh, 14 guys that showed up. A couple could only stay for a weekend and, and got, uh, two rounds of golf in. Um, our friend John, he stuck around for three days and then the rest of us, um, stayed for four full days at the resort where we got to play all four courses. Um, how many holes of golf did you play up there? I ended up playing in five days, uh, one forty-five plus seventeen. That's amazing. So I played one hundred and sixty-two holes of golf. That's extraordinary. So I mean, it, allow me to really just you know just stroke my own shaft here, you know, with a with a microphone in front of my face. Uh, so we we showed up, and this is for all of you out there who are planning to go to Bannon Dunes. This is this is really the ideal way to do it if you have to go uh, when we're going. So um, we decided to go the weekend after Thanksgiving. We're recording this podcast on Thursday. December the 10th, 2015. Um, we decided to go the week directly after Thanksgiving, where we, we left on the Friday, mere hours after um, you know we had fallen asleep from our Thanksgiving food comas. Um, we left early in the morning and got up there with enough time to play the free nine-hole par three course that's located at the practice facility, which is unbelievable. I mean, it would be, it would be the finest par three golf course in the Bay Area Without even any remotely close competition, and better, yet better than the fairgrounds, it it would just it would sit on the fairgrounds face. It it, it, it it's 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 that good. Um, it would run laps around the fairgrounds. It's <laughs> yes, but precisely like a Gladsdale. Yes, yes. Um, and 
it's unbelievable. And it's free for anybody who's staying at the resort. It's free to play as many times as you want. So we got up there. We got a nine holes before dark. Um, we headed to the bar, the bunker bar, which is located in the bottom of the clubhouse. Smoked some cigars, drank some scotch, had some food, kind of got all prepped up. And then the very next day is when it all began. And I have to admit, when you go to Bandon in the wintertime, you run the risk and you go up there expecting there to be completely awful weather. Um, you know, the Oregon coast in November and December, more often than not, is not an exceptionally pleasant place to play golf. It's rainy, it's windy, it's cold, your, your hands are numb, you know, golf course, you know, golf clubs go flying and, you know, potentially go through windows and people's craniums and all, all kinds of things. And we somehow, some way, got the most perfect six-day window of weather that I think that golf resort or that town has ever seen. I mean, this is this is my sixth trip up to Bandon, and every single day that we were there was better in terms of weather than the single best day in any of my five previous trips. That's awfully nice. You know, global warming, say what you will. It's, it's really turning Oregon into kind of a, a small West Coast oasis. It's becoming Monterey. It's, it's unbelievable. And because the weather was so good, you know, normally when you go in the wintertime, you know, you, you get so beat up by the weather that you're still having a great time. And the golf courses are set up to be able to still be very playable in the, you know, the really off weather. I mean, they're all built on 25 plus feet of sand. I mean, they're all built on sand dunes. So they can accept and, you know, a lot of rain and they're still very playable. But man, when it's not raining, oh, they're so firm and fast. And it just, you know, I, one of our buddies who granted is a very high handicapper and whose ball striking is to say poor would be gracious. Um, but you know, it's links golf in the fact that, you know, you stand there with a putter 40 yards off the green and it's basically like having a 40 yard putt. I mean, there's not a, you can't Martin Keimer does it. You can't tell the dip. You can't see where the green ends and the fringe and fairway begins. It's just, it's one and the same and it's all firm and it's very true. It's, it's an incredible golfing experience. And like I was saying, normally in the wintertime after those initial 18 holes are done and you can't feel your hands, you're like, okay, it's time to go shower, head to the bar and really start enjoying the evening. The weather was so good. Stay on the course. There was very little, very little drinking before like six o'clock. I mean, the one downside is the winter time. It does get dark at five. Yeah, that is so. But you know, still, but I mean, here's the thing: you played in, 162 holes. I don't think you got shortchanged in the summertime. Those golf courses are still an incredible bargain at like 250 to 300 dollars a round. And I, I'm someone who. I don't much like the idea of having to pay several hundred dollars for a round of golf unless it is truly... Are you, are you kidding? I love that. <laughs> unless it's truly one of the premier venues in like a Pebble Beach or something that's really, really special. It's like a bucket list type course. Paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a round of golf seems kind of silly when there are it's so many of, great options that are... It's a lot of pressure on the shots. It, 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 it certainly does. That being said, Bandon, if you go after Thanksgiving and you know all of... December and January, it's $75 for a round of golf. Amazing. And replays are $40. Wow. That's wonderful. Needless to say, I paid $115 uh, every day of golf there because I was able to play almost 36. We got on day one, first full day, 
uh, 18 holes at the original Bannon Dunes course, and then we jumped over and played 18 holes at Bannon Trails, which it is the only full 18-hole course that's not right on the coast. It is just as good. Oh, yeah. As, I mean, I of all the... You know what course isn't on the coast? Augusta. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what is that? Pine Valley. Uh, oh, oh, I see. Yes, well... St. Andrews. Cut, cut. please. It's kind of... Barely. Close. To, Part I mean, of it. It has several golf courses in between the ocean and the old course, but it is it is of a relatively oh, close proximity to the coast. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, that course, uh, the architects for Bannon Trails, Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw. Corr Crenshaw. They... They hit home runs, those guys. I, I have to admit, I... At this particular moment, I am of the opinion that they are the finest golf architects working right now. Yeah. They, those guys are unbelievable, and uh, I've read a lot of reviews for their new course, which also happens to be owned by Mike Kaiser, Alpha Nova Scotia, the Cabot Cliffs course. Oh, my. It is already receiving, and granted, it's less than a year old, and it seems kind of ridiculous, but praise like this isn't just thrown upon brand-new golf courses, but the gentleman who is the main contributor for the Golf Digest Top 100 list is already proclaiming it as the course that probably has the best chance of equalizing or exceeding Cypress Point. Oh, oh, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> well, uh, give it about another hundred years of history, and it may, it may very well uh, have a chance to do that. But it, from the pictures that I've seen, mm. it, it looks unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up this uh, this Bannon Dunes talk here real quick because I'm I'm just kind of starting to soil myself here, and I, yes, I, I, yes. I just really need to really need to do it, get well, going. It's, so it's just eleven months and change until yeah, the next band. That, that's very true. That's very true. Um, let's see, so day one we played eighteen at the original course and eighteen at uh, Bannon Trails in the afternoon. Day two uh, we played uh, Pacific Dunes, which again is what a lot of people consider to be the finest course at the resort. Um, it's, it's the stoutest test, right? You know, it's it's strange in that I think that Old McDonald is actually a more difficult golf course, but a lot of people tend to think Pacific is the most difficult because there's the most opportunities to lose one's golf ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. But I do think that Old McDonald is certainly a much harder golf course. Um, but Pacific Dunes was the only time on the trip that I played from the tips. Because I got to play with our friend John and uh, two of our other buddies who were probably the other two best golfers on the trip. Uh, a friend of mine, Kevin, who's realistically he's probably you know a four or five handicap. Um, and then our other buddy, Spencer, uh, who's a really great guy, who's a general manager at a course up in Sacramento. And he's probably about an eight or a nine handicap. Um, John shot 76. Kev shot 78. I shot 84. Mm-hmm. Respectable. Which was the best round of golf that I have played yeah, since moving back to the moving back to to the states from Korea. I mean, it, full of inspiration. It it was unbelievable. Um, it it was just so much fun, and the weather couldn't have been more perfect. The only downside is the first two days, because there was such a lack of rain and such a lack of cloud cover. It got a little bit more cold on the night, so there was a frost delay. Ah, oh, weak on days ones and two. So our eight o'clock tea times Can't were you play golf in frost. It just, uh, apparently the supers tell yeah. me that it's not yeah. exceptionally kind to the grass. No, no. But, you know, it's grass. It doesn't have feelings. Who cares? It's not kind. <laughs> and uh, so we got pushed back 
I don't think we got to start until about 940, 930. Well, so morning, morning belt of scotch. Um, so that kind of infringed on our uh, opportunity to play 36 holes that day. However, uh, we finished our first 18, and we noticed that the first tee was wide open. So we didn't even go check in the clubhouse. We immediately just walked onto the first tee again and kept playing. And then I called the pro shop from the fairway and said, hello, uh, this wow, is Kyle. That's um, a bold move. We are already playing the first hole. We're replaying. We saw that it was wide open. So if you could just charge Look at that. a couple of replays to my room. And they, to their credit, they said, man, that's awesome. It's a very masculine decision. Thank you. Thank you. I, my balls got lower and lower as, as, the day, as the day went on. And Speaking of balls, how many balls did you lose? In this 162 holes of golf. Not nearly as many as I thought I would. Would it have been in the neighborhood of 10? Which I, wouldn't be that bad. No, I would say probably... Yeah, I'd say it probably is somewhere 12. in the ballpark of 7 to 12. Wow, that's, that's not so bad. There, there was a stretch of about 75 or 80 golf holes where I didn't lose a single ball. That is nice. Right, Right in the middle where I... It was the it was, ball almost had to be retired due to misshapenness <laughs> from being hit too many times. It was uh, it w- it was quite nice. Although wow. that being said, part of that was because I played back to back rounds at Old McDonald, so um, it's not a ball loss kind of venue. No, no, it's not. Um, there's very very few places to lose your golf ball. So I mean, it Bubba is Watson. exceptionally wide open and you know just hazard free off the tee. Um, there's only maybe a couple of chances where you'd lose a ball at Old McDonald, and that's if you hit a 40-yard slice into some gorse. And that, you know, that shit is just too fierce and there jagged is- and sharp to be trying to retrieve golf balls out of it. Of course. Um, but other than that, there's really nowhere you can lose a golf ball in that golf course. So, Sounds like my kind of place. Yeah, it's, it's, it was great. And the very first time that I played that golf course, Old McDonald, I liked it, but I despised it because it was so difficult that I was like, even if you're playing great golf, it, it's very challenging to score here, especially when the wind picks up. Um, although it got a little bit better this time around. So day two, we didn't get to finish 18 holes in the afternoon. Um, we had to skip over three holes. We skipped over holes uh, seven, eight. No, no, we skipped over holes one, two, seven. Um our second time out because we jumped directly onto the eighth tee because it's also near the 18th green and that's how we got out um did you pay no we did we did we did so i got 36 minus three so 33 holes of pacific dunes on day two day three we paid trails in the morning and then played old mcdonald in the afternoon day four i played old mcdonald in the morning and then where did i go to play after my morning round at old mcdonald Oh, no, no. I apologize. Day four, I went to go play Bannon Preserve early in the morning and then got out to my tea time at Old McDonald at about oh my. 11, 11.30 or so. That sounds nice. So that was another 31-hole uh, day. So the holes by day at the resort went nine on like the one hour of daylight that we had when we got there, then 36, 33, 36, 31. That's a lot of holes. <laughs> now let's... Let's get down to business here. Please. Is there much of a prostitution trade in Bandon? Because there's a lot of guys up there, and it's you know kind of a no wives, no girlfriends type atmosphere. 
seems like a place where some ladies of the night might uh, ply their trade. Not that you would know, but well, uh, maybe you've heard stories. I I was a little curious, not not for my own, but you know, with uh, just you know, for the same reason that you're asking me that it question. It seems too logical. It does, and it's uh, the world's oldest profession. I don't believe so. Unbelievable. Again, I I have not inquired. However, um, was nobody on Tinder. This entire trip? No, nobody was on Tinder, no. Is everybody in a committed relationship? Not everybody, but uh, I think most. Unbelievable. Most of us are are, yes, are, are quite tied down. Um, although, one of, day one, uh, my friend Mark, uh, who's an unbelievably, unbelievably hilarious oh. and attractive man who uh, is, you know, a, a 401k specialist, um, he was able to so afford he knows all the the hot milfs. He does. He does. He's he's exceptionally well versed in the uh, right. yes in, in in milf studies. Right, right. And he he actually did have a caddy every day while we were there. Oh. And so we got a chance to ask his caddy ah very that good. same question, and he immediately referred to <laughs> a fine gentleman's club up in Coos Bay, which is about a twenty five to thirty minute Co- drive. Coos Bay. Huh? Coos Bay. Yes. Sounds about right. <laughs> yes. So he that was his uh, recommendation in terms of yeah. gentlemanly entertainment. Um, it's a although bit far. I do find it a little crazy that I, I, I would be surprised if there were someone or a gentleman up there that was desperate enough and and willing to uh, kind of look past the exterior looks of a young lady that I'm sure. I'm sure they could find some company up there. Well, you know, let's, you know, keeping things legal, there's got to be room in that town for a home delivery dance service. I would think so. strippers to visit the room and maybe put on a little show and no contact kind of thing. I would be absolutely shocked if... That hasn't been done up there already. I mean, it seems like a giant market opportunity. I'll tell you the truth. If yeah, no, I mean, the, there are wealthy men year round, twelve months a year, dropping thousands and thousands of dollars to have a ton of fun with more than likely their other male friends. And a, yeah. I'm sure again, it is a. If it doesn't exist already, there's a free free business tip for any of you. Uh, entrepreneurial young ladies out there. I've got implied copyright on uh, every good punny name for a stripper uh, service. (laughs) So nobody take them. Uh, Yeah. I mean, flag sticks. I'm taking that. I have to admit, I I feel awful because the name of the gentleman's club up in Coos Bay, I remember was quite good, but it's, it's escaping me right now. Horrible. If, uh, if I get a chance to go, that's a shame. We did not go. One of our, one of our friends was drive. One of our friends was really trying to rally us and, and get us out there on our final night. Um, everybody was too tired. I I think everybody was just more inclined to just be yeah. lazy and continue to drink you know, scotch yeah, and smoke cigars. It's a testament <laughs> to the quality of golf that nobody was trying to get very diverted. Dude, we were dog tired. Laser focused. When it was all golf. said and done. Oh, I mean, sure, of course. Dog, dog 160 tired. holes of golf is a lot of walking. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple of guys that didn't partake in the afternoon. Oh, by the way as many beers as you would like oh. in the fridge. 
How did you know? Yeah, just go and run. Uh, you can take the headphones off. There, uh, there's oh, beer. Oh well, I can't leave the mic open. No, it's okay. I, I got a, I got a read that I can do. Like, I, I got something right, I can I'll, pitch I'll, while you. I'll, I'll time it. Yeah, that's fine. So you can. Oh no, please go, go oh, ahead. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Go, go grab another beer. What a host. Yeah, go grab another beer, and uh, if you happen to grab a, a second one for me, that's, uh, it's perfectly acceptable. Um, so while Casey is going to uh, grab a beer, I just want to remind all of you that if you are a resident of California or Oregon. Uh, and you're looking for a way to save a little bit of money on your next round of golf, go ahead and visit golfguide.net uh, and visit the store. Um, we've got a tons of certificates for courses, again, all over California and Oregon, the majority of which are in Northern California, but we've got a great little setup um, that you go on, you buy a certificate, you take the certificate to the golf course, you turn it in, and you get your round of golf at a heavily reduced rate uh, compared to what you would normally be paying at the pro shop. And the best part about it is, is you're not locked into one single time like you are on a lot of online websites where, you know, you, you book one tee time and then that's your tee time. On golfguide.net, you go, you buy your certificate, and you have an entire year uh, to go to that golf course and utilize your golf certificate with that reduced rate in which you bought it online. So, again, if you want to save money on the next round of golf, visit golfguide.net. And, of course... My host, Casey, is now back. Look at that. That was perfect. That was wonderful. I, I hear you're talking about the golfguide.net certificates. I have taken advantage of those in the past, and it's terrific. Yeah. It's... I, I have to recommend most strongly uh, Etna Springs. So long as those certificates are available, you should snatch those up and get over there because the value is tremendous. The uh, facility is run by really nice people. It's kind of a relaxed attitude out there. It's got resort type feeling to it the conditions are very very nice even throughout the drought they were great and it's a, a fun fun golf course get out to Edna Springs yeah and, and from golfguide.net and golfguide.net I think you can go play at least nine it might be 18 holes for like 20 or 30 bucks and I think it might be 18 for 24 walking it's just incredible and, and when you're out there they're not exactly gonna bust your balls too hard about a replay either no no and uh i i mean i will say this you know if we're on you know if we're on uh talking about etna that is one of the best golf courses i have i've ever played and i i'm spoiled in the fact that i've got to play a lot of really fantastic golf courses and etna springs is unbelievable when tom doe came in and redid the course in 2007 um he did it thinking that well, he came in and redid it under the impression that it was going to be nine of a eventual 27-hole facility for really upscale tourists in the Napa Valley wine country. Um, it is unbelievable. I mean, Etna Springs is only a nine-hole course. It's in Pope Valley, California, which is in northern Napa County. It is nine of the finest holes of golf I've ever played. I mean, if there was nine more holes of that same caliber, it would be impossible to not see that golf course on every top 100 list imaginable. I mean, it, it is really that good. I, I totally agree. Uh, you can probably tell that I moved the microphone a little closer to my mouth. Yes, you're so, yeah. Voice is very sumptuous now. Booming now. Yes. I would, I would maybe say that the course is a little bit short to be on lists like the top 100. right. Not that that should be the case, but mm -hmm. it kind of tends to be. But it's really a ton of fun. The layout is interesting. Visually, it's in a beautiful place. It's stunning. It's, it's stunning. It's, it's completely a, a pleasure to play at this golf course. 
Not to mention, there tends to be not a lot of play out there, and you get this feeling of seclusion mm -hmm. that I think you you probably get abandoned from time to time, sure. especially in the wintertime, that is part of what makes golf such a, a pleasurable thing for most people. We None of us like crowded golf courses. You go out to Hetna Springs, you have a lot of solitude if you're there with a friend or family member. It's an experience uh, that you can kind of avoid being bothered. It's a lot of tranquility yeah. and uh, terrific golf course. Great conditions, challenging, but very fair, very beautiful. I've actually always, since I visited that golf course for the first time, I've thought that in my my later life when I've got my druthers that that will be maybe where I settle down. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a lot of raw land out there, and it's in fire country, but so is so are most beautiful places. I mean... And there, I, I'd be hard pressed to find a golf course to just go play over and over again that you would enjoy more than that place. I mean, especially if you're a little bit older, because again, like you said, yeah. it's not a it's not a very long golf course. I think it's fair for the long hitter and it's fair for the short hitter. It's it's hard to overpower exactly. Mm -hmm. A couple of holes you can overpower. That's really what makes the difference. But you know, just very very tough, very fair. It's great. I, I know it's a it's par thirty five, and I think. You know, part of the lack of distance is attributed to that it only has one par five on the it's, nine holes. It's also some of the par fours are very short. Mm -hmm. uh, for, but for also long hitters. incredible risk reward par fours that many of which are not drivable. So even though they're a little shorter, they're still stern, stern tests. The creek obviously is the major identity factor for the flat holes of the course or for the for the valley holes. Yeah, and it's striking how well that creek has been incorporated into the course the first hole five of the nine holes have uh, that creek come into play the creek makes the par five very difficult very it comes into very play. difficult it, it it not only is the par five it has a tiny green which is appropriate for the length it's mm -hmm. not a long hole but the creek is a major factor on the tee shot and it's actually such an interesting par five because in my opinion, the layup is very hard. It's tricky. And it's it, tri it, it is it tricky. It forces you to really think about where you want to go because that creek runs parallel to the hole for a large portion of where most people would be landing that second shot. And it's, That's do it. you want to go left or do you want to go right? The right is a little bit of a smaller area, but you're going to have a better angle into the green from the right. It's a tremendous hole. It's an unbelievably well-thought-out golf course that, again, Tom Doak, the guy designed Pacific Dunes. I mean, he, he knows how to design a, a really beautiful, great golf course. As much as I loved Pacific Dunes, Etna's, I'm not going to say is better, but it's, in terms of the quality of the course, it's of the same caliber. If you pumped resort-level conditioning into Etna, which is already in very nice shape, mm -hmm. it would be the finest nine-hole course that I could think of in California. Yeah. What other ones could you really imagine well, in that conversation? Since you bring that up, after the last time that I played Aetna, I tried to go and see um, if there was any kind of comprehensive best of nine hole lists that maybe that some of the major publications had put out. And it looked, I saw that the most recent one was from like 2010 hmm. uh, by a gentleman at Golf Digest. Uh, and it had Aetna Springs ranked as the fourth best nine hole golf course in America. Deservedly so. But oddly enough, 
the third ranked nine hole golf course in America, is also located in the Northern Bay area. Come on. It is by, it was designed by a young architect oh, by the name oh, of Alistair, oh, Alistair McKenzie. McKen- of the Northwood Golf Course, of course. How did I forget about Northwood? And Northwood's well, Northwood is an is wonderful. exceptional, no. exceptional golf course. It's but, a lot of fun. But it, a lot of people would criticize it for the same reasons that they would criticize Edna, and that it's not a long golf course. I think it has one par five, which is the closer, number nine. But just it, that, it has two par fives. Does it have five? Oh, is it, par yeah, five it, too, it does but, have two par fives. I apologize. But... but but it, it's an incredible, incredible golfing it experience. Is. It it's is. not in as good of shape as yeah. Etna because all of the tall redwoods make the sunlight a little difficult. It's damp. Uh, it, yeah, the playability is not as good as Etna mm-hmm. because of the limitations. I think that Etna is a better course, and I love Northwood. I've had a lot of great experiences out at that golf course. I recommend it to everybody. Sure. But uh, I have to say, a couple of shots at Northwood. I think are a little tricked up and strange. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there are any that I can think of at Aetna that are like that. Aetna is just a pure golfing It's very fair. Yeah. And the difficult shots there are not unfair. You know, I'm thinking of the hardest shots out there and whether or not I think there's any fairness problems, and there really aren't. No. The approach shot into, is it three? The the par four that goes back. Mm Mm-hmm. Into the hill that goes right That's alongside. A very that. hard shot. That it green is is, is multi tiered. It's tucked no, right not up against that target hill. there at no. all, but it's still fair. But I'm thinking about Northwood, hole number two. That approach shot into two. The approach shot into two. It's that, blind. It, it, it's it, it's it a is, little hidden blind. It's blind in all the wrong ways. <laughs> it's not blind like Ray Charles. <laughs> it's, it's it's more Helen Keller it's blind. blind without any redeeming value. Mm, yes. Well, I have to say I'm a little I'm a little biased uh, because the last time I went out to Northwoods, which was about three weeks ago, I went there actually. That was my that was my prep course for Bandon. So I went up there a couple of days before we headed up there, and I stuck my approach shot to about five inches and well, tapped it know, for birdie on number two. So I, I'm you want me to break the news to you, please. You did that because it's all bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> You, you didn't, I certainly did not see any see, of it happened. You, you can't even see where the flagstick is. Uh, I did not know which portion of the green the flagstick was not. located in. Um, but yeah, and, and you know what? My instincts took over, though. Okay, so don't you that, think that in, in in yeah, of course. Don't you think that in in golf course design, when you think of a blind shot, which is fine, you know, blind blind shots are part of the game. Mm-hmm. We can't see every target, but if it's into a green especially a green with severe penalties for missing it. The green shouldn't be narrow and deep. I, I think that's a, a fundamental precept. If you're going to be hitting into a green that's blind, that's above you, below you, I'm thinking it, it would be more fair to have the green be not so deep. Hmm. Because when it's deep like that, you don't know what part of the green the flag stick is on. And you're going to be, I don't know, risking a very long putt, which is what I always have on number two. I've always got a 70-foot putt on that. Well, like I said, I, I had a tap and bird the last time I played it. But I do believe the time before I played it, I had a uh, approach shot in the green that fell maybe four or five yards short uh, of the green itself because I hadn't hit it quite good. And it was just damp enough where I didn't get the release off the hill. 
but that was also my fourth golf shot on the hole, so it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Oh my god! <laughs> um, actually, you know, this this is kind of interesting. I, I'm glad you brought that up because your favorite uh, writer here at Golf Guide, Mr. Rick Vasick. Oh, I like him. Um, he, he's a good writer. He's, he's actually it's just whether his opinions are ones I disagree with. Well, I, I now question. have I now have some more of his opinions that I wanted to shoot by you, please. Um, so uh, on the first podcast, we discussed. Uh, a column that Rick had written on golfguide.net about what makes a golf hole great. Uh, And then the very next week, on December the 2nd, he wrote a second article. um, Now, does Rick listen to this podcast? Rick uh, does not listen. As of right now, nobody listens to this podcast because these will not be released until the beginning of January. We're uh, going to be recording a couple of podcasts and then we're going to release three or four of them in the initial... Um, in the initial in the initial batch, exactly. So Rick ve- may very oh well God. listen at some point, but you know what? Rick is a big boy. He's got uh, he's got a you know a strong spine. He's he's, he's going to be just fine. Let's tell Rick that I know how to get a restraining order. <laughs> so if he comes after me, <laughs> I'll be getting one of those. Rick uh, Rick is at least a thousand miles away from here, so I, it, it'll take an extraordinary effort for them. I'm going to add a hundred yards to that. Yes, <laughs> uh, Rick. In so, the article that he came out with a week yes. after that then decided to discuss what makes a golf hole bad. Okay. I don't know if you'll agree or disagree with him. Let's do it. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it's at least a little bit interesting. So Let's, let's dance. All right. So he's got uh, a couple of factors. Let me count them up here. One, two, three, four, five. It's five again. He's got five. It's all about five. Right off the bat, one of them I look at and I absolutely agree. And that's the last one that he comes to. So I'll, I will save that one for last, but... In my initial Being look in at Florida, them, <laughs> or I have—I hate to admit it—this Florida golf does not do it for me. And I, I know this is not good because a lot of the golf here in California fits this uh, fits this you know description. But I'm not a huge fan of desert golf either. Eh, yeah, it's it, it's very aesthetically pleasing, but um, a lot of times when I play desert golf, I feel like it should play more like a links course, and that it should be a lot more firm. Yeah, and things should you know you should be able to play it on the ground. Um, but I find that a lot of the desert golf out there is kind of target style golf, and I, I don't like that very much. That's true. I I enjoy desert golf. I'm not sure why. I think that if anything, it's because somehow the architects have gotten full control over the design, and so the good architects are able to design holes that are very interesting because yeah. of that. But. <clears throat> I think mostly it's due to the aesthetics. I've I've only played a limited. They're beautiful. I played a little golf in Sedona, and it was very enjoyable. But quite nice. I think objectively speaking, it's probably bad golf. Well, I mean, it, it's not to say that it's it is the, bad golf. It's just uh, my personal preferences. I enjoy playing those courses less than Parkland, Heathland, or Linksland golf courses. Those those three are that's that. Those are the butter. Those are the ones that. I enjoy playing the most, whereas, you know, desert golf and Florida golf are a, yeah. you know, Hazard. Uh, the second tier. Yeah. How much I like a golf course usually drops with the number of water hazards and bizarre kind of things like that. Sure. And you have to rely on those with desert golf and Florida golf. Otherwise, the, there's no trees to make it challenging and mm-hmm. the wind would blow it somewhere, but not to an unplayable area. So you have to rely on gimmicks like that. Yeah. But Certainly. Anyway. So let's see here. So we're going through Rick's list of five things that he thinks uh, makes golf holes unenjoyable or bad or in, 
actually in the column, he references it as what makes some holes a joke. Sure. Uh, all of them, I, I don't know if I disagree with any of them, but all of them tend to be sort of obvious. Um, but the, any the rationale. Holes, any holes could be that I've double bogeyed. Precisely. Are, that's one category for me. Yes. Anytime I've had to take a double par, it's a awful, awful golf hole. Oh, my God. So When's the last time you had a double digit score on a hole? Double digit score? Double digit score. I mean, I probably, oh, I had one this summer. I yeah, a, it can I, happen. I mean, it, here, here's the thing. Um, I, I know I'm going off on another little tangent here, which is becoming a real staple of this podcast. It sure is. Well, um, it's because of the alcohol. But, however, if everybody kept score oh, yeah. according to strict USGA much rules, a lot of people would have of course. double-digit scores. And I... I Pros are putting up. There's at least one double-digit score from a pro in most tournaments. Yeah, and you know it's uh, a good friend of mine, Nathan, who also came on the the Band of Dunes trip with us. Uh, he and I had a conversation, you know, maybe several months ago when we played Bodega together, um, and then kind of touched on it again. And that is, and that's why I've been trying to actually play, you know, where I, I don't accept a lot of gimmies and things like that because really. If you're taking mulligans and you're giving yourself putts from three and four feet, the problem is that you never truly know what you're shooting. That's true. And, that, and that's... I, and it also makes you worse at those shots. Well, I, I got accused of being a huge sandbagger uh, when we went up to Bannon because I was playing exceptionally well, and I, I showed up with a handicap of 17. No, no. Yeah, not a sandbagger. No, and, and I saw you right before we went up there, and there were driver struggles to beat the band. Yes. <laughs> it... And the problem is I keep very strict, you know, proper right, score. Right. And because I do that and I don't give myself putts and I, you know, if I hit a ball out of bounds, I hit three off the tee. I have a lot of scores that yeah, are right. in the low 90s. Yes. Because even if even though I do hit a lot of good golf shots, they don't make up for the several penalty strokes and bad, you know, missed two and three footers that I'll have throughout the round. Most people play a weird version of golf where yeah. they don't uh, adhere to that. Yeah. Um, so that being said, you know what? I played exceptionally well abandoned. I actually broke 94. 90. I broke 90 on every round of golf I played up there. That is really good. Every round. Now, that being said, those courses really suit my style of play uh, because my ball striking hasn't been terrific since I you know moved back to the States. But I was basically able to play knock down bump and runs from 180 in mm-hmm. everywhere. And because the fairways were so firm, I mean, and every single, every time I hit into a green where there was not a bunker or something that I had to fly to clear, I was hitting a knockdown that was landing 25 feet short of the green and running up into the, onto the putting surface. It, yeah. it yeah. perfectly suited my game. And I was a little shocked to see that nobody else was using that play on their approach shots. And actually our good friend, John, who was the best golfer on this trip, uh, came up to me after our first round at Pacific dunes and complimented me and said that he really, really liked the way that I was playing all my approach shots in the greens. That didn't happen. It did. John complimenting somebody unsolicited. It it was the first time in my whole life. John has ever said anything positive to me ever, ever. I I promise you, I, I, we can call him when this podcast is finished. recording. he, he enjoyed my touch. Yeah, <laughs> that's outstanding. All right, so let's get back on topic here. So Rick Vasek's column from December 2nd on golfguide.net. 
He talked about the factors that he thinks makes a golf course a joke. The first is that he says he does not like it when risk-reward is discouraged or impossible. That one seems kind of obvious to me. Because, you know, for him, one of the factors that he needed to have to make a good golf hole is to have a risk-reward. Um, so it seems kind of, well, obvious um, that if there's no risk-reward or if it's discouraged, meaning that, you know, you just have to play it one way. There's not, you know, multiple ways to play the hole. Um, I mean, if you like, I can go into a little more into his description to see if we can't uh, get... Please, yeah, I'm, not, I'm reserving so, judgment on that. I'm okay. intrigued. So in Rick's column, he says, he doesn't like it when risk-reward is discouraged or impossible. And here's his explanation. One par five uh, that immediately comes to mind requires an iron or hybrid off the tee, a mid-iron on the second shot, and then a short iron to a green that often doesn't hold a shot, even one that's up in the air for a while. Um, and then he also says the wind also could be a huge factor. Hitting driver or going for the green in two isn't just a risk. It's completely insane, impossible. The trouble is right where your tee shot would land if you were to hit driver, and the green's lack of accessibility makes going for it in two a foolish choice. No par five should ever force you to keep the driver in the bag 100% of the time. Thoughts? I, I agree with most of that, i got to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, my initial thought is that there are some holes where there's not such a risk-reward element, but it's still a decent hole. It just requires precision in order to succeed. Yeah. And the, the scenario that he laid out there, to me, would seem like uh, if you're hitting it off the tee, there's a hazard that begins maybe like 220 yeah. yards and, from the tee and, and extends to like 350. And, and I got to say, I don't like that kind of style either. I, I don't play a lot of par fives that have that feature. No, I don't either. I don't um, either. But if it did exist and I played a golf hole like that, I don't know if I would enjoy it. You know, what comes to mind is Jordan Spieth's comments at the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay when the 18th hole was playing his par five for one round out of four. And... It was designed originally to be a long par four, I believe. Mm-hmm. And or where was it? I can't, I can't quite recall. I was I was in the middle of Wyoming with no no cable or anything when the when the US Open was. I was I was limited to very very sparse highlights. It, unfortunately, it's the other way around. It played it as a, a par five for three rounds and a par four for one. But the bottom line is that for one of the rounds the landing area was sort of pushed back. And then in order to reach the green, a player who didn't have 310 yards of carry had to play a 260-yard kind of shot. And so that is an example of a poorly designed hole because of sort of keeping driver in the bag for a hole where driver is kind of imperative, which is related to that par-5 argument. But... I think broadly, there are some holes that aren't risk-reward that can still be great because they depend on a very precise way of playing the hole. Sure. Uh, sometimes that is fun to watch, to see whether they can do exactly what is called for. Like a nice, tight, like, shoot-type hole that is just straight as narrow, but it's, you yeah. know, again, it's narrow. Yeah. It, you, you need to execute two really great golf shots to get it on the yeah. green, too. I, Quite frankly, and you could say it's risk-reward, but it really isn't. Let's think of something like the road hole. Mm-hmm. at St. Andrews. Some people don't like it, but it is famous, and I think it, it's always stood the test of time. Sure. But, you know, you, you take driver off the tee generally, 
and there is one right way to hit the approach shot. Right. You play it short right. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. If you do anything else, it's a mistake. Unless you've got balls the size of cantaloupes. Yeah. <laughs> In which and case, you, uh, Miguel Angel Jimenez and hitting ridiculous, absurd shots off walls of, of rock and such. Right. And <laughs> it's not even a really a risk-reward hole, if you think about it, even though the penalty for going in the bunker is severe, mm-hmm. and the penalty for going in the road can be bad sometimes. Uh, that's not a risk that anyone chooses to take. It's just what happens to a bad shot. Mm-hmm. A bad shot goes in the road hole bunker. A bad shot goes on the road. So a hole like that, there's one right way. You know, the, the tee shot, you can, you can cut the corner to varying degrees but then there's one right way to play it and i like that yeah because if you don't pull it off you've made a huge mistake yeah you know exactly what you're supposed to do it's just a matter of executing and it's a conservative target that is the ideal target so if you've made a mistake it's because you didn't think it through because i'm really great at tangents uh number 11 at old mac is actually a replica of the road hole at st andrews i mean the only thing missing is the road and the hotel but the, the shape and the design of the holes, it, it, it's extraordinary. It's, it's steal from the best. Oh, I mean, the whole, uh, the whole concept of Old McDonald, the golf course, was that they just wanted to take all the comp sets that uh, Charles Blair McDonald used on all the golf courses that he built, so National Golf Links, Chicago Golf Club, because all he did, you know, all of his golf courses were essentially courses from Scotland, and, you know, the, the old course, and he basically just built replicas and basically put a, a you know, tried to put those golf holes into the space that he was building a golf course on. And it's, it's exceptional. It's, it's really in their green complexes and the whole ideas that have been used thousands, if not tens of thousands, potentially even hundreds of thousands of times um, in golf course design over the last 150 years. And it's, it's, it's awesome. We've seen what happens with this fetish for originality. It's no a good. A lot of garbage. No good. A lot of courses that nobody wants to play. no, courses that are hosting majors that might be okay for professionals and that are heinous miseries for fans to walk around and are also totally unpleasant for any ordinary golfer, including even scratch golfers. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we have to get away from that. I'm, I'm all for copying. Originality is yeah. not, a, not a real thing. People have had a lot of really good ideas in the past. Let's, uh... They're still making good new blues music. Yes. Yes. Come on. Way to go, Gary. Yeah. All right. So wait, number two on Rick's thing that makes a golf hole not awesome. Uh, the green or pin placement is unfair. Agree. Yeah. I mean, we were, you, we were talking you, about a little bit. I uh, totally agree. Yeah. How can you disagree with that? No. I mean, any time that a golf hole, not even just the green, but the golf hole is unfair, um, you know, that's... The unfair green is it, a it huge, can't be a great golf hole. The unfair green is a huge problem. I think that's an excellent choice by the author. Mm-hmm. Way to go, Rick. Two yes. for two. Yes. All right. So number three. This one is uh, kind of goes without saying, but number three. It's boring. Oh sure, of course. Yeah, I mean, his description here is: uh, What's the difference between lesser courses and championship layouts? It's simple. Just about every hole at a fir- at a first rate course is memorable. If you're playing a course for the first time, you know it's great if you remember a lot of the shots you hit. And that means you have to think more, and that's part of the fun. When you don't, when you, when you, five minutes after you walk off the 18th hole, if there's golf holes that you don't recall at all, it's not a good sign. Yeah, and you're, especially when you're not even drinking that much. Yeah. 
No, it's true. And uh, that that's also totally correct. When you can't remember a whole, it meant nothing to you. And that's uh, applicable in more, more ways than just golf. Of course. Yes. Uh, but, I mean, that's, you know, I remember I was talking uh, to one of my buddies about, you know, a time that I'd played band and, you know, in a previous time that I'd visited the trip. And, you know, he's, you know, he hasn't been playing golf nearly as long as that. He's like, sort of like, how do you remember all this stuff? He's like, you remember great golf holes. You, you, you do. And, and that's why it, same thing goes with Aetna. I could sit through and I could play an entire round of golf in my head of Aetna true, yeah. because every golf hole out there is great. And even a lot of great golf courses have maybe one or two or three out of the 18 holes that kind of just had to be fit in to get 18. Um, but it, it's actually really great that there are still courses out there, uh, and a lot of which you can play, that do genuinely have 18 non-boring great memorable golf holes and i think that's you know that's that's got to be the number one goal of any architect that's building a course absolutely yeah i'm not the kind of person who remembers all the holes of a golf course or has a photographic memory of every round of golf he's ever played Mm -hmm. but i remember specific holes from every course that i've played because they were the best right they were the most interesting holes at various golf courses and i have to say that is a universal that with very few exceptions, I remember between, you know, four and 12 holes of every golf course I've ever played. Mm-hmm. Because some of them are duds and some of them are great. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right. So just jumping to number four here. Um, I, I'm kind of laughing a little bit as I read it because it's kind of like, oh, fucking duh. Uh, and that is it has an unintended, quote, best spot to hit it, end quote, that's in another fairway. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah. I don't know. In in a sense, you kind of forgive that, maybe, because it's just kind of an oversight. Uh, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like, golf really should be built around the terrain. and mm-hmm. I mean, in course out of bounds, which is the solution that people have come up with to this problem, is is a travesty. But it's what prevents the holes from becoming irrelevant. After they've been built. Kasem, can I just jump in and tell you how damn smart you are? Because the fifth and final uh, criteria that Rick has for a golf hole not being great is that it has in-course out-of-bounds. <laughs> that is That was just tremendous. That was the, well, it's it, totally you're related. Doing, you're doing my hosting well, job for it's me. It's completely is, related to the last fact. Right, right. And it's, I have to admit, in-course out-of-bounds oh. is one of oh. the just you stupidest. You don't even see it that much most, anymore. It's, it's because probably there's so many golfers like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. No one even obeys it. Yeah, I mean, I talk about trying to follow the rules. Right. You know, I even I would be very tempted to be like, well, fuck this white stake. I'm not, I'm that's part of the golf course. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go play. Yeah. It, it just defies the rationale of out of bounds. Yeah. I if mean, you can play it from there, how can it be out of bounds? Mm-hmm. And in his article, he talks... Know, you know, local rules, you can do whatever you want. You could make part of the green right. be a hazard, but still, sure. let's get real. And, and in his thing, he says, you know, the in-course out of bounds is the biggest, you know, that's the biggest no-no um, oh, yeah, out no. of all of them. And he says out of bounds should never be anywhere besides the boundaries of the course, and I could not agree more. Of course. Well, the, you know, he's throwing red meat to the masses here. All, <laughs> all of these are pet peeves. <laughs> a, a big, giant, unfair green on a hole within course out of bounds. I don't think anybody's going to like that. Um, 
I would pass. I, 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 would, I would happily pass and uh, go find what, myself another track to go play. I don't know about you, but I still remember most of the places I've played that have in-course out-of-bounds because it was so jarring to read the scorecard before you go out and mm-hmm. see, oh, there's in-course out-of-bounds. It, it's despicable. Yeah, it is. It's just, it's not golf. No. I mean, you know, I guess... I see what they're... Tra- you know, it's a... Once again, lawyers have sunk their talons into life in America. They have in course out of bounds because when somebody gets sued for being hit by a ball that was intentionally hit into a fairway on a hole from which they can't see the source of the tee shot, they're going to sue because they're going to say the proper way to play the golf hole is for the golfer to do that. So the golf course designer has encouraged a dangerous condition hmm. from which a golfer doesn't have warning because they don't expect a tee shot from another tee to be intentionally hit into a fairway for a different hole. That's what's going on. So they have in course out of bounds, not just to prevent groups from crossing in a fairway, which would delay play, mm-hmm. but to discourage the prospect of intentionally playing up a different hole and hitting somebody. Yeah. Otherwise the golfer bears most of the responsibility, but if you can say that a properly played golf shot is going to maybe hit somebody, then you start dipping into the realm of liability. That's where all those, those fine, you know, lolly educated individuals come in and just smother, you know, they're the private bits all over the golfer's good time and that's that's no good yeah, that's what happens yeah that's that, that's no good at all even though most of the golfers are lawyers and that's part of the problem that's why <laughs> they need the in course out of bounds they it's it's incredible you know it's kind of funny that now that you mentioned that i'm trying to like go through a memory to think if there's anywhere that i've played in the last year that has in course out of bounds and it's I, pretty rare I, I don't think i have it's rare and that's why my one quibble with that being on the list is you know it's just becoming it's, it's, so uncommon. Well, first of all, it's so obvious. It's like saying, oh, nobody wants pedophiles in their neighborhood. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. The top list of people we don't want in the neighborhood. <laughs> so, you know, it's a little easy. But, you know, I, it's not that common. So it's kind of a minor factor. Yeah. It's like, we didn't, you know, holes with a tree in the middle of the fairway. Like, okay. First of all, I like those holes, by the way. But mm-hmm. it's just a little rare. In course yeah. out of bounds, it's not a major factor. No. No, it's not. And, you know, it's... It, like you said, some places have probably been put into a corner where they've had incidences where they have been forced to install in course out of bounds. But I'd like to think that is it's going by the wayside. I'd rather see a big giant net. <laughs> I swear it would be less ugly. It, if you don't it, want people <laughs> taking a certain angle off the tee, put a big giant net there, or, or put or some put sort of an, yeah some or, sort of an impediment like a hedge yes. or a tree that put a shoot yeah and that way people can only hit their tee shots on a certain line. that's that's the proper way Why to, don't we to take care up? of something like that there are big narrow trees everywhere yeah that that is the proper way to handle that situation of course okay awesome and uh, that is it for for Rick's article uh, regarding excuse me regarding uh, why some holes well, are simply it's a better job than his first one he's he's sharpening up oh he does have a little thing at the bottom of that uh, maybe i'll share with you at the bottom of his article he says that uh quote there's nothing wrong with an easy golf hole uh if every hole is brutal it's pretty tough to have a good time out there uh you've got to have a breather once in a while but i can think of a lot of birdie holes uh that have just enough trouble to turn a birdie into a bogey or worse 
And, uh, you know, that's, that's the way that it should be. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a little bit at odds with yeah. his previous ones. Well, um, I, I, but I agree. I, I happen to, I think we might've even said this in the last podcast. I happen to love easy golf holes. You should be able to birdie every hole on a golf course from your chosen tees, you mm-hmm. know, for whatever distance that allows you to hit a, a to hit every green. That that's the tee that you should be playing, and you should be able to birdie every hole on the golf course, provided you play it perfectly. Right. And maybe occasionally, you know, there's a par three where the pin location you hit a long iron. You should still be able to have a birdie putt that mm-hmm. that's makeable in yeah. the thirty foot range or something. Yeah, totally. And uh, any hole that is unbirdieable is badly designed. I agree. I completely agree. I mean, it's, uh, and I can't think birdies of on specific holes should not be reserved for scratch players only. No, but they should be reserved for an excellent performance. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and sometimes I don't have a huge problem with it when, when, for instance, you have a, a hole that's only really realistically birdieable with a forced carry. Uh, that's okay. Because, mm-hmm. It provides some interest. Sure. But you can't have a hole that's stunningly unbirdieable. I'm having a hard time coming up with examples of that. But there, there are a few on tour, of course, that nobody ever birdies. And Perhaps our memory is just not, uh, not road quite as Andrews, exceptional. The road hole at St. Andrews, quite frankly, nobody ever birdies it. Almost, almost never. Yeah, ever. Al- almost never. Huh, interesting. Part, oh. of the, part of the dispute with that yeah. hole. That hole's polarizing. Let's see here. Oh, I, I got to jump into this one because I thought this was kind of a, uh, a funny read this morning. Um, so Rick uh, wrote, you know, Rick does a column for How Golf Guy. How does this guy well, write? Rick does a column every week. What uh, but it, it's been two weeks since we had our last podcast, so I have, I have two. He's like Gore Vidal. He, he's, he's an exceptional, exceptional writer. Prolific. Yes, very quiet. Uh, this, and this is actually just more entertaining. It's, I, I, it's, to me, it's, I guess, less interesting because I, I just love discussing, like, golf holes and architecture and strategy, but this is, uh, the title of the article is treat others the way you'd like to be treated. All right. And in terms of when you encounter really bizarre scenarios on a golf course, how do you react? So I've got a couple scenarios here and I want to hear what you would do in that situation. Uh, is one one of them Kyle Serlo urinating right in the middle of a fairway at mountain shadows? Well, First of all, that is perfectly normal. I mean, this is this is it's the outdoors, case. I'm, it's, it's, I'm not saying it happened. Yes, um, if it were to happen, it would be a very natural, beautiful, you know, kind of event. So that's uh, what we were born to do. Yes, exactly. All right, so let's see here. He's he, he gives multiple choice after he presents each of these situations, but I, I think I'd rather just hear how you would handle the situation right out the gate without having any of the other answers. So uh, his article addressed again. How do you deal with obscure, like this. you know, obscure, you know, yeah. unfortunate and undesirable uh, scenarios on the golf course? So the group in front I, of you I could have made a real bad joke, yeah. but I'm not going to. Please feel free to make as I'll, many heinous and awful jokes I, as you like. I have to pass. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so the first one that he brings up is, quote, the group in front of you is slow, slower and somehow even more slow. Okay. Multiple practice swings. They're lining up putts from every direction. They're probably a 20-something handicap, and they have no indication that they're going to let you play through. They're, I mean, they're completely clueless. What do you do? The first thing I do is ask to play through. Mm-hmm. At some point, 
when you're close enough within earshot, you ask to play through. Sure. That's rule number one. I'd say 75% or more of groups will let you play through. Yeah. Or give you some kind of qualified answer like, oh, after the next hole, we'll let you play through. Something like that. My real question is, what would be a group's rationale for not letting you play through? There, People come up with stuff that, first of all, some people feel entitled. And sometimes people have to get done before it gets dark. And if you cut in front of them, they're going to get done three or four minutes. But they're heinously slow. Three or four, a- but they would get done three or four minutes later if they had to end up waiting on you on 18. Oh, what a bunch so of bullshit. So they need the free open expanses of field in front of them to get done as early as possible for them. Hmm. So it's possible. If a group unjustifiably refused to let me play through, I think the move would unfortunately have to be picking up and walking ahead of them and, uh, and or calling the pro shop. Mm -hmm. So I'd say order of operations here. Ask them to play through. Number two, request a marshal visit. And number three, skip a shot, maybe two shots, and walk ahead. Yeah. It's uh, you and Rick are right on par here. Uh, Rick, uh, his, his four options. Uh, option four? A, he had four options. What, sit there like a bitch? Is that option that, four? That is option one. Option oh, A. Oh, no. Option A is to do nothing and just Whoa, gripe Rick, about it. Uh, Rick. Uh, option B is to catch up and politely ask if you can play through. Of course. Uh, option C is to call the pro shop or find a ranger. And option four is to get drunk and hit balls at the group in front of you. Well, I mean, that's option five. <laughs> yeah. Option four in Rick's case. Uh, but he said that his, you know, obviously would be to catch up and ask to play through or call the, call the pro shop. See, we all think about hitting balls in the group in front of us because we're feeling violent when we have been put in that position. But it would be almost a better response to just heckle their bad golf. That is, that is the one that it was not brought up that actually would be really, co- completely tremendous. If you've really been pigeonholed into your – you're waiting on every shot for these <laughs> people who are lining up putts, they probably suck. And <laughs> so if you are that close to them, you can observe their golf and just do a David Faraday, Johnny Miller commentary on how bad they are. That's t- what – that's. T- t- Today, Junior. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, just like, nice putt, sarcasm, uh, it, Bronx cheer, the whole thing. I mean, normally I would I would say to ask to play through, it's but better your your latest suggestion it, is perhaps the greatest option out of all of them. If you hit balls into them, they might shoot you. <laughs> Our former golf coach had a gun pulled on him on a golf course over a dispute oh. that may not have been so different. So don't that's think right. it can't happen. Everybody yeah. in this country has at least four or five guns yeah, on them at, at any time. That's a fair point. Not just when they go to schools, <laughs> even when they're uh, on the golf course. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit safer to mock their manhood and, uh, you know, reveal them for being bad at golf. That That's an option before hitting in. Mm-hmm. And a... Uh, an excessive amount of applause for completely that's good too. Completely mediocre uh, accomplishments. Tap and uh, putts, but yes. putting the flag stick in. Yes, yeah. yes, that, that that might be my that's that, that'd be my course of action. I like it. Okay, good. No, hey, very responsible, good, uh, good answer for number one. All right, scenario number two here. You see a ball from a parallel hole land near you as you walk in the rough. No one yelled for, and it winds up in a place that will make it difficult to find. What do you do? 
So the question's getting at whether I tell the golfer where his ball ended up or not. And it almost hit you, but you didn't hear anybody yell four. Here's what I would do. If the sight line was invisible from the other tee, I would tell them where the ball was. Mm -hmm. If they should have yelled four because they could have seen me the whole time, then I won't say anything. And that's my answer. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's fair enough. Uh, let's see here. His options are uh, option A would be to decide that it's their problem and keep walking. See, I think it depends on the hole type. Yeah. That, that's where I, my answer varies. Yeah, I think so as well. Sometimes people don't yell for because they can't see you. Sure. And sure. they, you know, sometimes you want to have a courtesy for even when you can't see that anybody's over there. But occasionally you can forgive something like that. I mean, there, there are times where, you know, I'll, you know, there are often times where I hit such a bad golf shot that it goes to another golf hole. Um, and and if, if I don't see anybody anywhere over, yeah. remotely over there, you might not see I that. may not say four, although I probably, you probably should. Anytime I see trees between me and where the ball is going to land, I try to yell four. Yeah, which is, which is a smart move. Yeah. I mean, that's the, it's the, it's the courteous uh, move to make. Uh, option B is to wait for the guy or girl who hit and uh, chew them out and then just uh, walk off angrily. Well, don't you think? Yes. Don't you think the real answer is that if the person's sexually attractive, you tell them where the ball is, and if the person's sexually unappealing, you step on it? It's most certainly, most certainly the correct answer, yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, option C is to... I'll tell you where you can find your ball if you can tell me where I can put my shaft. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I know it's a baseball reference, but yes. Home run, yes. Okay. <laughs> that was... That was Beautiful. That, that, that was really beautiful. Thank you. Uh, option C is to find the ball and make sure the person who hit it knows where it is. And if you get a chance to talk to them, oh, uh, politely seek to understand why they didn't yell. Oh, boy. That, um, Rick, I love you. Not, not going to do that. You know what? I'm not trying to be a teacher when I'm out at the golf course. There are serious situations where I'm sitting down for a, a dinner with my girlfriend where I always... Avoid any kind of serious, serious conversation where we're seeking to understand things. Forget I'm certainly it. not going to do it on a golf course with a stranger. Forget it. Yeah, no, not going to happen. And then uh, option D, find the ball, step on it, or hit it deeper into the trouble and walk away before they get there. It's funny about the step on it kind of thing. I, I, so many people don't play the ball as was, it lies anyway. It doesn't really that's matter. It. I joked about it earlier, but honestly, nobody, most people have a bad lie and they kick their stupid ball out of it. And I, you know, I, have massage in, in, in non-counting rounds of golf for no competitive, no gambling, nothing. Occasionally you'll bend a rule, but one rule that I don't bend is my lie. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, I'm not judging people who do that, but if my ball's in a divot, I play it out of the divot. If my ball's in a horrible spot, if it's, you know, next to a rock, I, I play that rule for some reason. I, the play it as it lies rule. I take very seriously. Yeah. Uh, you know, if any rule I bend, it's the out of bounds stroke and distance rule, or mm -hmm. the lost ball stroke and distance Playing rule. Playing it as because, a red stake instead. Yes, yeah. because the, the well, that's length the, of time you it almost takes should to just go for back, basic play purposes. That that should be the case more often than that's not. That's really why I do that. Sure. But every other rule I take very seriously, and of course, when it comes to gambling, you you are very strict. So in any case, nobody plays it as it lies. When I, I go out there, and if somebody's got their ball in it horrible lie they always kick it out yeah sons of bitches yeah it's 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 no good um yeah i think i would like to think that 
I don't improve my lie. Um, but if I'm in a really just god awful divot that just some a hole just took a huge just t- chunk of earth and displaced it and didn't replace, then it's just it's like being in a little cavern within the middle of the fairway. Yeah, I would probably move it out and give myself a better lie. Although that being said, I shouldn't, especially when I'm someone that you know claims to follow most of the rules all the time. Well, uh, but that's that, that's a rare situation, and it also reminds me of the point that you brought up um, in the first podcast is that. You're always kind of a little bit jealous, even though it's more difficult, jealous of the conditions that the pros get to play Although courses in. Because they share divots. Right. <laughs> but, you know, they're, you know, everything's getting filled in with sand and everything after every round. So sure. it, it's much, I would say it's much less likely, but all those dudes are all bombing it into the same spots on fairways. Perhaps maybe it's not all that, so, not that unlikely. Well, don't you hate those holes? You know, it goes back to the point where there's only one way to play the hole. But sure. When you watch a pro tournament and there's 8,000 divots within a, a tiny little parachute sized circle and you know it's just Mm -hmm. it's obvious that the topography of the hole is just mostly for show yeah and that you don't really need a fairway anywhere else yeah Yeah, it's 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 no good that's yeah i don't like that so all right see scenario number three from rick's uh you know from rick's column all right okay let's take a look here all right scenario number three mr remington you're playing with someone you just met and they're the ultimate hothead. They're awful. They're be, throwing their clubs. Who throws a club? I, I have no idea who would do such it's a disgraceful. thing. Disgraceful. Uh, but, I mean, here's the thing. It's not just a one-time thing. They're constantly throwing clubs. They're swearing. They're talking about how they be playing, should be playing so much better when it's incredibly obvious that they're probably a 30 handicap. It, what, how, how do you handle a playing partner like that? Uh, mm. Well, I have sympathy for that person. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah. If you're, if you're, uh, shit. I think that what you do. Coming off a recent club breakage, it's a little unfair to. Know, but yeah. I mean, that seems that that is an isolated incident. I'm, I'm talking, I think it's the question is addressing people. Broken club. Well, uh, I think it's addressing people that do this constantly well, from the beginning of the round until the end. Yeah. They're just completely unpleasant to be with. For the entirety of a round of golf. Yeah. I think for that scenario, you don't really have much of a remedy but to leave the group. I think you try to fall back with the group behind. You you beg the mercy of the group behind you. You say, I was with a real douchebag in the group I was with. And so even if it makes a fivesome, I'm going to just have to beg you to... I would show you the same compassion if you did this to me. Sure. Uh, in theory, you can call the marshal, but I wouldn't feel like doing that. Mm, yeah, I, I don't that, that situation, it would be yeah, it just a little juvenile to, to call. You know, most of the time, though, to tell you the truth, in this situation, I have just sucked it up. Yeah, I have just tried to kind of walk away. And uh, do you try to engage them in conversation to distract them, or do you just go kind of just ignore them and just let them be? Sometimes I try to play a trick on them psychologically where I compliment them way too much on anything that's close to good. <laughs> so they start to feel like things are going real well. Uh, but you know, the, I think mostly I'll just try to, to stay, stick to myself. I've definitely played with some hotheads over the years and I, I mostly just keep quiet and try to ignore it. That's kind of the same. I mean, I don't know what it says about my personality, but I think in that situation, for the most part, I tend to just kind of... Like I said, people have guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
I, and I don't. So that uh, that creates quite a quite a disadvantage. Except for these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Oh yeah, so, buddy. So strong. Uh, let's see here. All right, Rick's uh, four options. Uh, option A: keep quiet and hope one of those flying clubs doesn't hit you in the face. That's usually what I do. Uh, me as well. Option B is to think of an excuse to drop out of the group and go play another hole. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Uh, option three is to see if you can talk to the guy about oh, please. it. please. And make That's it clear that he needs happen. to stop. Every woman in his life has told him to calm down. <laughs> Every teacher. You're not going to be the guy who convinces him. Some guy who you met on the first tee of a golf course. And once again, he likely has a gun. Of course. And you just need to... No. People uh, with guns don't understand. No. no they, they certainly do not. No. Uh, no, he definitely has a gun. Option D is quite interesting, though. Option D that Rick has is to try throwing a club at his face and see if that uh, resolves matters. Wrong. No. <laughs> Escalation is wrong. <laughs> it's the same with road rage. You know, uh, if someone dicks you around on the road, don't escalate it. I mean, maybe a, a honk or a middle finger at the worst, but someone's liable to kill you for that. That is absolutely correct. People die for that in America. That's Same reason you shouldn't have a bumper sticker on your car, by the way. It doesn't matter how much you care about anything. Hashtag freedom. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just keep that right off your head. <laughs> uh, he wraps up the article with a nice little thing where he says, uh, the beauty of golf is in its serenity and civility. If we look for more ways to make a you know your uh, round of golf a better experience for those around us, we can avoid confrontations. Uh, Give peace a chance. Yeah, he, I, yeah. I mean, it's he's he's right. I mean, but, he is right. But, but I mean, it's you know, it's not an exciting or a funny thing to say. Golf is a competition against the golf course. If you take it seriously, mm-hmm. and of course, it's stupid to be mad at nature and a sport where the ball is sitting still, waiting for you to hit it. <laughs> but. Yeah, we all at get incredibly point, frustrated. At some point, all the time. Anybody, anytime you care about something and it's not going the right way, it tends to frustrate you. And there's a lot of ways to show your frustration. The best way to do it is in a nonviolent and quiet fashion. But you've got to forgive people for showing a little bit of hotness. And you see most of the great players in the world get all pissed off and throw clubs and from time to time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if anybody's carrying the the torch for golf it's those guys and mm-hmm. they're they're being violent sometimes yeah yeah agreed Hendrick Stenson snapping a club over his knee like a real stud did you see that uh I don't know if it was from last week's hero world challenge but where he uh he, he like picked up his whole golf bag and then just like slant you know had it completely uh had it completely horizontal like brought it up to his shoulders and then just slammed it back I, down into the I ground didn't see that but it sounds great it was quite good I love that. it Hendrick Stenson is actually quite a savage in terms of, you He's know... He's a funny guy. Yeah. I like him a lot. He's Except quite a, he took a lot of money out of my pocket for fantasy golf purposes when he hit it in the water at... Uh, it might have been the Deutsche Bank. Actually, can, can we jump into oh, this for a second? Jesus Christ. I, I've never played fantasy golf before. It's the same as everything else. Is it, though? Like, I, I know... I, I guess you play it on, you know, one of the newer like, daily fantasy sites, right? It's been a couple of months since I did, but yeah. DraftKings. So how... How exactly does it work? You draft a lineup. The players are given prices before the event starts. And you have like a salary for yes. your team. You have a $50,000 salary cap in the case of DraftKings. And mm-hmm. The players are priced anywhere from, you know, 5000 to $15,000. Almost sure. always from, you know, six and a half to, to nine. And you draft six players and they're going to earn points for you based on... Their finish. 
based on their finish and based on hole-by-hole performances and performance bonuses. Really? So sometimes you want to draft a player type over another player type, even if you think they're going to finish at the same point in the tournament. So, And there are different kinds of games that you can enter with these lineups. You can enter games that pay out the top 50% of finishers. You can enter games that double your money for about the top 43% of finishers. Mm -hmm. And you can also enter tournaments where there's a large payout to the top finisher, top five, top 10, and then anybody outside the top, maybe 15 or 20% makes nothing. So it's a lot of risk-reward variations. The, the only problem with this is that the rake, which is what they call the amount of sort of the amount of winnings that the, the house takes on, on top of everything, mm-hmm. the payout versus the pay-in for the whole field, it's pretty bad. It's pretty substantial. You, I, I've heard from several people that play on the Daily Fantasy sites that, that the, the cut the, that those gentlemen take it's is... huge. Yeah. You, you've got to make... I'd say at least they say that in sports gambling, if you win 53% of your bets, you're one of the better players in the world and you can make a living if you can do that every year. Hmm. Provided you wager enough money, 53% is a mark of a tremendous uh, winner because theoretically the median player, not theoretically, certainly is under 50. Sure. Uh, otherwise the house wouldn't make any money. That's, so, exactly. That's how these guys stay in business. Yeah. So uh, I think in, in fantasy golf, fantasy football on DraftKings, that kind of format, daily fantasy sports, you got to be up in the high 50s and yeah. the difference is, is major. And, and that's just see, because the, the house's cut is the so house large. The cut is bigger and we have seen all the stories about the people who make the most money on these websites are people who have inside information. Who work at the companies. Of course. And, and, it just goes to show how difficult it is to really make money on these websites. Well, I think that's why uh, I found it so shocking that our, the good friend that we continually reference on this podcast, our friend, John, yes. uh, he paid for a large portion of his Bandon trip and his brand new Taylor Taylor made M one driver with winnings from his daily fantasy. I don't know activities. about a large portion. I saw he made 250 bucks off a dollar the other day. Did he brag about that to you? Uh, not yet, but I'm sure that's, son it's coming. I'm sure it's coming. Son of a bitch did it with football. I think that's where he's making yeah, no, it's most for, of his money. He doesn't do it for golf either. No, he doesn't. Hmm. Yeah, he said he paid for his, his new TaylorMade M1 driver completely with winnings from Daily Fantasy and also paid for a portion. Oh, and then you got a text message right here. John says, never texts me ever. He texts me a screenshot of his winnings. What a from, cock. What a cock boy. Come on. Jesus. Although that is... Quite a nice lineup that, he's, sure. that he set for himself. Antonio Brown is going to make you money no matter what else happens. Oh, yeah, and Allen Robinson. Third. All right, anyway, I, I digress back into, into golf. So would you – do you find f- the daily fantasy golf to be more entertaining and more fun to play than other fantasy sports that you've tried? Yes. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Other sports take place in a day, and, and they, can be, they can be fun too. But for golf, you know, the first two rounds of a tournament, who gives a fuck most <laughs> of the time unless it's a major? Yeah. So when you have money on a fantasy team, every hole counts equally. And a huge determinant of whether you're going to make money is whether guys make the cut. Mm. So you become fascinated with whether Pat Perez 
is going to get a birdie nice, on the 15th hole of some Humana challenge. And it becomes <laughs> so important to you. <laughs> and you're watching the shot link on the PGA Tour website because it's not even being frigging broadcast. <laughs> and you're on Twitter for other degenerate golf gamblers as they make the same complaints as you and talk about how various guys should die and their mothers. And <laughs> it's all a very civilized place to I, engage I, in some sort of like entertainment is what you're saying. I was a loser fuck. <laughs> and it's so great. It really is fun. It makes the first two days of a golf tournament arguably as enjoyable as the last two days because... Which is quite incredible. If you are playing what they call a head-to-head or a 50-50 or a double up where the most important thing is finishing in the top 40% of the, of the gamblers. If mm-hmm. you do that, you're going to win money and sure. it's just going to be a small payout, $5 to win 10 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most important day of the tournament is Friday and the second most important is Sunday. So if you have six guys make the cut for most tournaments, it doesn't really matter how badly they play on the weekend because everybody else is going to have guys who miss cuts who get zero points on the sure. weekend. And it is a lot of fun. It turns Thursday and Friday into a... You're, you're interested in a golf tournament from the very first tee shot all which the way... Is pretty, which is pretty great. All the way till the end. Well, what was your rationale for not uh, playing at the Hero World Challenge last weekend? It's a small field, and I, I just got discouraged by Henrik Stenson, I'll tell you the truth. Like, I, 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 <laughs> Damn had, it, Henrik. I had like seven different weeks of gambling on golf, and it was never more than like $20 a week among a bunch of different kinds of bets. Mm-hmm. Three of the weeks I made a profit, and it was around 110 to 120%. And then the other weeks I made a loss, and it was like 60% mm. of return on investment. So I definitely have not been successful. Sure. And I still would be up for the season if Henrik Stenson hadn't hit a ball in the water at the Deutsche Bank, I think it was the Deutsche Bank. God damn you, Henrik. I had, he was, he was the anchor of all of my teams that week and he was leading the tournament. He was cruising to victory and then he plops one in the drink on a par three and it was like a $20 swing out of my pocket with that shot. That is And it was quite so brutal. painful to me that I haven't returned yet. I'm going to wait until Hawaii. Ooh, that is, that's quite brutal. That is, that's but no, it's, what, it's what I deserve for, for Stenson aficionado status. I mean, if ever a guy disappointed people, it was him. Mm-hmm. What's that? So did you watch The Hero last weekend? I did. Intently? I, uh, I watched much of The Hero. I didn't watch all of it, but it was a nice tournament. Any, any tournament where Bub is cruising to victory, you know. It's pretty little, good. Little, no, no, You're not, not a big Bubba fan? No. 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 It's, really? it's fun to watch play, but... He's a you know the weeping and the the first he's like the first guy who ever became a father. It's really annoying. I, people kept making a big deal about him saying like mud ball or some. Stupid oh, and he thing. complains all the time. But I mean about everything. Who cares? It's annoying. Yeah, I mean you know like he I, he can't take responsibility for anything. He he takes responsibility for all the good stuff and for none of the bad stuff. He blames his caddy for bad shots. He's gotten better with that over the years, but he still does it. That's what the best golfers do, though. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't detect the dark. <laughs> uh, no, no, he blames his caddy for clubs and shots, and then he's 
uh, yelling at the but he has a pink driver, Casey. He's so relief. fun, and he's a big redneck. And I mean, Jesus. He, so as far as rednecks go, Boo Weekly is a far more enjoyable golfer than Bubba most Watson. Most of those guys on tour are rednecks, and I like them. But but Bubba Watson somehow is it just rubs you the wrong way. He rubs me the wrong way. It's fair. It's mostly this attitude. First, you know, it's the the complaining, but then it's the attitude of. Uh, you know, blaming people in the crowd for making noise. And then the also the attitude that uh, he's the first guy who ever had a kid. You know, he's so he's happy. Not? Yeah, right. <laughs> There's only been 70 billion humans that have lived <laughs> on the earth since the species started. Oh. And he acts like nobody's ever adopted anyone before. Mm. You talk to Mia Farrow about that. She adopted like 75 kids. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, Bubba. I, I have to admit, I, I didn't pay a lot, you know, really... I'm, I've been doing a very bad job of these last couple of months outside of the majors of paying a lot of attention to golf, even though I thoroughly enjoy and love watching professional golf. I've been doing a God awful job of you know paying attention to the pro tournaments and the course I thought looked a little interesting in that it looked nice, but rather than it being kind of dunes and sand on the side, it looked like shitty wasteland. I like the shitty wasteland. You like the shitty yeah, wasteland. It's fine. Yeah, okay. It's the Bahamas, right? I guess so. Yeah. It was okay. It was it was a, a decent tournament to watch, and Tiger Woods was hanging out in, in his uh, convalescence, and it mm. was interesting. Mm. No, but it was good. I, I was rooting for Jordan Spieth like I always do, and Paul Casey, it's interesting to watch his comeback. That's going along. Uh, Justin Rose shot a course record. That guy's amazing. So I'm, I'm going to jump into it. I, I also love watching Jordan Spieth. I think we touched on it a little bit in the last podcast. Um if you got to pick three golfers, you can only watch three golfers right now play professional golf. You know, you, you can tailor your uh, TV feed to only follow three gentlemen playing in any particular tournament. Who are they? Are these players today or players on right the top now. of their game in theory? Right now. I mean, let's assume that everybody who's still on the tour right now is healthy. Right. So you know, obviously well, Tiger, got, obviously Tiger can't play, but let's assume that he's healthy right now. But he's okay. he's demonstrating the amount of skill that he's I shown see, recently. See, oh God, horrible! It, um, again, it's December of 2015, so a healthy Tiger may not necessarily be a no. terrifically entertaining Tiger. Well, I've got two right off the bat. Go, Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy. Sure. The third one is a little more difficult third for you, huh? Third one's tough. The, the the best golfer besides them is Jason Day, but I don't particularly love watching him play. And I, it's so impressive how he does it. And I, I have a lot of respect for his game, but it's just a little boring. Mm. Um, Dustin Johnson, I wouldn't say, even though I kind of like watching him, you know. <laughs> shit, know. shit on himself. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of like it. I kind of like it. Uh, you know what? I love Zach Johnson. I do love I do love me some Zach Johnson as well. I love Zach Johnson. I'm a legitimate Zach Johnson fan pre British Open. Yeah, I've always had a big heart on for Zach Johnson. I like watching him play. That might be choice number three. Okay, so you go, and I love the young guns. I like Justin Thomas. Mm-hmm. Guy's fun to watch. Sure. What's new with Patrick Reed? Patrick Reed's fun to watch too. He's really quickly ascending in terms of the. You, well, he's been up uh, there not for the world rankings, but he he very well might be. One of the five to ten best players in the world right now. One of the top five players in the world. That was his famous quote. That's crazy. But, uh, no, he's he's great to watch play. He's got a great attitude. He's got great intensity. He actually plays a kind of brand of golf that is more normal human. 
mm-hmm. than a lot of the other ones. He's sure. a big, hefty guy with a powerful swing, but he doesn't have a ton of distance. He's maybe a, a skosh above speed. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe not even above speed. He's in that 290 to 295 kind of territory, which is pretty pedestrian for those guys. But he's a terrific ball striker. He's yeah. just so solid, and he's got a nice draw, and he's got a real beautiful golf swing, and he's got that pissed-off look. He's all cocky. It's you, like him on the, you like him when they're angry. It is great. Yeah, no, he absolutely is. I'm... Yeah, no, he might be up there. You know, I might have to substitute him in for Zach Johnson. Mm. But I think I'll stick with Zach. Zach's my boy. Zach's a good choice. Tearing off those little draw wedges with, you know, all that nonsense, the big spinny kind of show-off thing. I love it. What are your thoughts on Cooch? I mean... Boring? Like, too boring? Totally boring. Yeah. It's amazing that a guy can hit the ball with any kind of direction when they're aimed 45 degrees to the right (laughs) on every shot. But it's... And he's a nice guy and stuff, and he's a great player, but... You know, I'm sick of these guys who've been around for a thousand years near the top of the rankings and can't win majors. I just like that there's somebody on tour named Cooch. Well, I always wanted them to put a group I always wanted to see for the majors, and I think they might have done it once, but I don't think they did. I think they put two of these guys together would be Coocher, Boo Weekly, and Luke Donald. Mm. Cooch, Boo, <laughs> and Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's natural. Yeah, I, I, why it hasn't happened is now befuddling me. I I, I have no logical explanation for the. How fun that would be if they all hit really good shots in succession. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. Now, if I had to take you back in a time machine, like ten years, back to like two thousand five, golfers to watch. Obviously, Tiger's the obvious one. Yeah, of course, please. But if you had to get two dial guys, on, dial on, and dial on, <laughs> the answer to that question. <laughs> Was there anybody that you liked watching? I'm obviously not as much as Tiger, but if you, for me, and I, I know that I'm not alone here. You know, I was always rooting for Tiger to win. But were there any other golfers that you were almost as pumped for when they would win a tournament other than Tiger? Absolutely not. No, there just weren't. I thought yeah, yeah. Oh, God. this is basically me talk, trying to talk myself into Tiger being great again. I, I just so desperately want it, and I make America great again. I'm just I, I every passing day it becomes more and more evident that it very did well. Did you read the Time Magazine interview with Tiger? Uh, I did not. I, I saw a lot of excerpts, but I haven't actually sat down and depressing. Yeah, but back to the question. I saw that he peaked at 11, yeah, no, which no. is a year after my peak in terms of <laughs> golf as well. So me too. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, no. Sonoma no. County Player of the Year, Casey Edmondson. That's right. 1999. I think so. Oh, yeah. 1998. Look yeah, at us. That's huge. Two of the most accomplished late 90s junior golfers in all the North Bay area. Good for us. Who, who could have known? Yeah. <laughs> 2005, I mean, who else was... I mean, Phil had just won the Masters, so he was finally turning into a decent player. There was uh, Phil... V, I mean, VJ was great, but Furyk, I didn't really... VJ. VJ was coming right off the great year. Mm-hmm. I, I liked watching VJ play, and I thought he was kind of cool, but I never really was rooting for him or against him. Uh Jesus. Well, uh, I slightly brought up this little tiger thing to uh, to transition into that little quote that I sent you on Facebook the other day where I saw that incredible Let's cover this. I saw that incredible stat. Um I think I think it was Golf Digest that brought it to my attention. Um and that is during the year 2000 Tiger Woods's handicap never dipped below plus 10 ever at any one moment 
It was never worse than a plus 10. Explain to me how that's possible. Well, he was really good at golf. He's fucking good, dude. Like, yes. <laughs> it, yeah. That's it. Are, is, is anybody playing right now no. at that level? No, no, no. Absolutely not. And they're doing it with all this technology that they have now. I mean, yeah, you go, Well, Tiger had most of the technology back then. Well, dude, I want to go back and watch a video of the 97 Masters, and that dude was basically playing with but, modernized but, hickory but by bullshit. But 2000, they had titanium drivers and they yeah. had the Pro-V. Sure. So by then, things had already gotten a lot of the progress. Mm-hmm. Um, not as good as it is now. Right. The drivers were still but, small, but... To be fair to the guys that are playing right now, since the technology has improved, they've also lengthened out the golf courses to try to kind of keep it yeah. at the same level. So, no, Yeah. Tiger's stat... I mean, the plus 10 handicap is incredible, but I think all of the competitive stats are the most impressive ones. And, you know, his, his performances and his victories and mm-hmm. his top 10s and no missed cuts and all of that. I mean, it's incredible. Was the uh, question whether Barry Bonds' run was more well, impressive? Both of us being uh, tremendously large San Francisco Giants fans, yes. Um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is just sit around and just salivate at you know random Barry Bonds st- statistics. Um, and then you know when you see some of these statistics that Tiger put up from you know in the, in the 2000, 2001, my question to you is, which is well. Which is more impressive, but also for you personally, which do you enjoy looking at and researching more? Oh my God. It's, you know, it's it, so hard. It's, it's a ridiculous question that doesn't have a wrong answer, but it, 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 they're just, it's just so much fun to talk about it that you really can't. Is. It, it, yeah. It, the answer, oh my God. The, the answer is Barry Bonds. It is. The, Barry Bonds from 2001 to 2004 two out of control. was simply the most ridiculous human to ever play baseball. It was amazing. It w- Tiger Woods, when you think about it, he was still, and it, believe me, it was all a higher caliber than anything we had ever seen before, but he was still playing golf. Mm-hmm. You know, he still had to get a ball into a hole and, <laughs> you know. The golf equivalent of what Barry Bonds did is if Tiger Woods had like five eagles <laughs> every round. <laughs> um, Barry Bonds. It, it's crazy me, that actually is accurate. Yeah. I mean, ba- Barry, Barry in his prime, you know, albeit potent, allegedly enhanced prime. Hey, but there's no. We've th- heard things about Tiger. That's true. That is true. Um, and I don't care. No. Either, by the way. No, I, I also do not care. My only concern is if it's true that it never gets out. Because mm. I don't want to have to put up with that shit storm again. No, absolutely not. Drag baseball into the toilet for nothing. <sighs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited for baseball to start again. Of course. It's, it's going to be... Jeff Samarja. Yeah, thoughts, thoughts on the Jeff Samarja signing. Uh, it's a bad contract. But Sorry, golf crowd. It's, it's a bad contract, but he's a good pitcher. Yeah. You know, it could work out. I was not overly pumped yeah. for for the signing. I, I thought uh, a, little too much, a little too much money. I still think they, uh, you but, know, I yeah. still think that Sister Fister is certain is the, is the best. I wanted the Zimmerman. best move that they could make. I wanted Zimmerman. Yeah, yeah. Got Likewise, I I did not find it surprising at all that he was one of the very first starting pitchers to sign. Yeah, they snatched him right up. I mean, he when Jordan Zimmerman is going, he's as good as 
Giants wouldn't have won anyway. the World Series if Williams had let him stay in the game. Well, did you hear that Yusmero Petita signed with the yeah, Nationals? Yeah, good for him. Well, well they, he obviously impressed them when he whooped their ass. When he, when he just four and a half innings, shellacked them with his third, enormous ball sack for third. six extra innings. Was it six? Yeah. Oh my god. Six. That was amazing. Six innings. That Grant Brisby did an article about win probability added performances of Giants in various playoff games over the three World Series runs, uh-huh. and. That was number two, I think, or maybe even number three of any of the performances. It was amazing. Yeah. Petit in that game. Might have even been number one. Somewhere up there. It's very possible. So Barry Bonds, he had an on-base percentage over 600. I'm actually bringing up a list of mind-blowing stats for both Barry Bonds and Tiger Woods right now to see, compare them side by side to see which one we find to be more impressive. Now, there's a uh, article here, looks like on Bleacher Report, which, as far as sports websites go, I, I don't enjoy Bleacher Report very much. Uh, I think their formatting is kind of lame, and the whole slideshow thing is just overdone, and it's yeah. it's, it's, it's it's no good. But it's yeah, they do claim to have uh, you know a a plethora of Tiger Woods stats. So let's take a look here. Tiger Woods improved his record when holding at least a share of the lead after 54 holes with his win at the Players' Championship to an outrageous 53-4. and four. <laughs> The Players, so that in 2000, the Players? Couldn't have been. It looks like this. No, that's got to be later. That sounds like 2002 or four. Okay, so this, this is his record after, after leading 54 holes. I mean, this, this article no, was written he, in 2013, but I think. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's written. So that's his whole career. Pretty much fifty three and four leading after fifty four yeah. holes and forty one and two when leading after uh, three yeah when leading after three rounds Amazing. so Amazing. that is just that, that that's insane uh, let's see here the next one scoring average in two thousand I'm gonna guess no 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 don't please say anything. No, no, please sixty eight point three child's play. Sixty-seven point seven nine. No, no, it can't be. <laughs> it can't be in sixty-seven. Uh, 67s. That, that that is fucking insane. That, by the way, oh, the man was sent from an alien universe. Oh my god! To come and just teach, oh show us how incompetent we all are at the game of sixty-seven point seven nine. Oh my god! Oh, that is that's that's dirty. Wild. It's naughty, is what it is. Wild. You, you got to be putting a, an X rating on things like that. I mean, this wow. is this is certainly this is not safe for work material. Wow! Holy shit! Jesus! All right. That means for every seventy that he shot, he shot a sixty-six. Basically, even better than that. Here's here's uh, the next one for you for Tiger. From 1998 and onward, how many consecutive cuts did Tiger make? Uh, well, I mean, if we're going for the whole Tiger Woods career here. I will say this. It only goes from 98 to 2005. Yeah, yeah. He missed the Byron Nelson championship cut in 2005. Fucking bomb. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's like, Jesus, 190. 142. Yeah, still. But the second longest streak is 114. Of his, for his career, or for any career, yeah, for any for any any other any other golfer's professional career, the next, yeah, the next, next one was probably him too. I, it says here that it was actually Byron Nelson himself. Oh, okay, back when everybody was in the war. <laughs> I mean, Byron Nelson, he got away with murder. <laughs> He's too old to go to World War II, uh, and fair enough. I mean, but every other good golfer went to war. That's why he won ten tournaments in a row. Yeah, the competition was gone. Yeah, exactly. So let's see here. 
winning percentage. These are the ones that you were referencing Staggering. earlier. Staggering. This is the stat that's key. In 2000, we're talking about? So, again, this article was written in 2013. We've got to give credit here. career. Uh, Mr. Ben Alberstad is the gentleman who put this article together for Bleacher Report. Tiger Woods' winning percentage as of 2013 was mm-hmm. probably 29%. So it says, um, I'll read it to you because I, I can't just pick out the, the information I'm looking for, but Sam Snead who holds the all-time record for victories on the PGA Tour, won at a 10% clip. Yeah. Okay. Tiger for, for a thousand years Yeah. Ago. Tiger, for his part, has won 78 out of 286 times. I think I was pretty close with that. You yes. are 27% win percentage. Fuck me running. That is... Amazing. In, what? In golf? How, how many players typically play in any one given tournament? 144. Oh, and he wins 27% of the but time. In the Masters, it's only like 100. Jesus. Yeah, it's incredible. He's not, it, it, you read these and it becomes less and less human. Yes. Let's see. Is 2000 U.S. Open victory? Yeah, 15 strokes. I know it. Mm-hmm. 12 under, 3 over. It stands you know besides the, the incredible achievements in sports, such as Wilt Chamberlain's 100 points. It sure does. It, I and Roger well. Bannister's sub four minute mile. It, yeah, it sure uh, does. Yeah, absolutely. It's better does. than the four minute mile. Yeah, definitely. Isn't that kind of a common thing now? Yeah, yeah. Infl- there's a lot of inflation in the Olympic sports because ath- athletes have gotten better. But uh, you've heard the great story about the 2000 U.S. Open. It's been in every documentary mm-hmm. that what what almost happened on Thursday. If I'm not mistaken, Steve Williams Remind me. story. So it's back when Steve Williams was on the bag before he said that Tiger should, you know, kick his black ass or whatever <laughs> he said about him, and put him some sort of a treated him Lucy like a slave Lynch type thing, all yeah. kind of weird, crazy slave references. They were playing the first round, and Tiger had a nice round going. I forget what he shot, but it was like 68 or 69. It doesn't even matter. But they get to the 18th hole at Pebble Beach, and Tiger takes driver i think he was a little bit conflicted about what club to hit and he hits a big snap hook right into the ocean this is on thursday i think it was on thursday okay might have been friday but i think it was thursday hits a big snap hook into the ocean and is real angry and he immediately just snaps his fingers or whatever douchey move he put on it yeah (laughs) said you know give me another ball he wasn't interested in Taking changing the, clubs. He wasn't interested in... I, I'm not sure he could have dropped anywhere, but he wasn't interested in that either. It's going all tin cup on everybody. Yeah. He was like, you know, I'm hitting another driver. So Steve Williams reluctantly hands him another ball and Tiger tees it up and he splits the fairway. Later, it was revealed after the tournament that Tiger evidently had been practicing putting in the hotel and many of his balls had been removed from the bag to practice with and Steve Williams didn't replace them when mm. they went to the course. Stupid Steve Williams. The ball that Tiger reteed with was his last ball. <laughs> and had he lost <laughs> oh, it, I do remember he this. would have been disqualified from the U.S. Open. But because his balls are the size of obese children that was obviously not meant to be any... That's, that's what happened. Went on to win by 15 strokes. Yes. Wow. Man, that is, yeah, that's, that's, incre- that, that's absolutely incredible. Well, that is oh, man, that's so good. I, I, 
I know since this is the Golf Guide podcast, we won't want to go into too much very non non golf stuff. But uh, this, I, I, I forget. Forget. I, I have an it's, article. It's ar- absurd. I have an article archive that just is basically a hundred Barry Bonds stats. Of course, and any one of them would just it does not make any sense. It's all right. You mean the 252 walks that he got in 2004, yes. three, whatever year that was? Barry Bonds has a career line of a 393 batting average, three, 900... 393 on base percentage. No, no, no. Batting. No, no, you, you, let me finish here. Yeah, please. Okay, maybe I'll, I'll say it in a different way than they say it here. On 3-0 and o counts... Ah, yes. In 3-0 and o counts, Barry Bonds has a career line of 393... 967, 1,054. <laughs> he has a 967 on base percentage in three and no counts? Yes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's an well, alien god who destroyed where's this article? time to bring us joy. Where's this article? This is from, uh, it's actually from Deadspin. It's send, one of, send me that. It's, you got to do that now it's, before you forget. It's absolutely 967? 967. That's a great slugging percentage. That. It, it, it doesn't make sense. No, it makes sense. That's his career? Yes. Oh, my God. So out of every 1,000 3-0 oh counts that he had, he made an out 33 times? Yes. <laughs> oh, it's so crazy. And let's see. All right. Here's, here's the best one. It's the very last I one in the article. I and fucking then, missed that guy. It, it, it's the last one in the article, and it's the last one that I'll read because we get, you know. Yes, I'll, yes. I'll, if Barry Bonds were to return to the major leagues tomorrow, he would have to make 1,412 straight outs to drop his career on base percentage below 400. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That is... That's a lot of outs. That is three seasons of zero batting averages and zero on base percentages just to get it down to 400. Meanwhile, you know that if he came back tomorrow, he would bat 250 and hit 25 home runs. See, the, the 25 home runs I'm not positive about because he's... I'm he's, more positive about the home runs. Really? I, yeah. I, I, if Barry came back to play tomorrow, I'd think 240 with 18 to 20 home runs. Yeah, I mean... I'm, which, yeah. I mean, again, he's the guy's almost 50 years old. Like, Amazing. He's, he's the most talented position player that any of us have or will ever see. That's right. Yeah, Barry Bonds. I'm surprised Barry doesn't play golf. He does. Does he? Yeah, I, he's I know not, he's big he's into a, cycling, but I don't know if he's, he's much of a golfer. He's not an avid golfer, but he is a golfer. Our mutual friend Chris Jackson actually met him at Mayakama. Really? Yeah. Okay. For a charity event. I could see Barry Bologna play Mayakama. Of course. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, all right. Well, uh, Mr. Kaysom, we, uh, we've actually been we uh, recording this podcast for... It's awfully lengthy. ...over two hours, which is... Christ. Been, <laughs> it's been beautiful, though. It's yeah. been a immensely enjoyable couple of hours absolutely is, is there any uh, any remarks or anything you'd want to uh share with anybody before we take off until next week i'm just gonna go look at barry bond stats throughout the night i will uh, i will be sure to send this to you please immediately I'm have a beer uh, for anybody that wants to look at those barry bond stats um they're on deadspin in their archives under their regressing portion of the website every and giants fan looks at barry bond stats at least once a month absolutely absolutely and the, the title of this article is incredibly appropriate, and it says, Barry Bonds was an alien god who destroyed space and time to bring us joy. A little too modest, in my opinion. <laughs> Aptly named. Yes. Uh, quite, quite accurate. Well, uh, thank you, Kyle, for another 
excellent hosting. Yeah, gig ab- and I, absolutely, brother. A pleasure. I am uh, I'm already getting excited to uh, for our next episode, which uh, will be next week. Um, and so, again, for everybody listening to this podcast, uh, we're recording this towards the beginning of December, and we will actually be releasing all of the Golf Guide podcasts onto iTunes and SoundCloud uh, at the beginning of 2016 uh, to give all of you a nice um, a nice reservoir of uh, audio content to enjoy. For those of you who can't resist, move on to the next one. Exactly, exactly. And uh, with that note, everybody, thank you so much once again for listening to the Golf Guide podcast. Uh, pick up a Golf Guide magazine at a golf course near you if you're in California, Oregon, or Nevada. And if you want to, visit, visit us online at golfguide.net uh, to find you know to find a great golf course near you and also to save on your next round of golf. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you.